Good morning, church. I hope you're well. Okay. Some of you are well. Some of you haven't decided yet. George and I were teasing with Tony right before we started this that um, we weren't, you know, obviously we know who's getting up here to do which parts, but um, I told George that, well, I didn't tell you this all the way. If I'm leading worship ever with you, the Holy Spirit has blown in and given me gifts that I do not have, just so you know, okay? So I'm glad that you're here, George, glad that you can work us through that and guide us in that. It's good to see you. Let's pray if you don't mind. Father, grateful for who you are. Grateful for this day, grateful for our time together. Um, may this time be an offering to you. May the time that we spend together this morning, whether online or in this space, Father, may we be more fully equipped and more fully formed to be your people in this world. Uh, Father, may your spirit flow this morning. In the name of your son Jesus and through the power of your Holy Spirit that I pray, amen. I'm going to try something this morning, and that's called using the clicker. I don't usually use it, so we'll see how this goes. I may have to have some special help from you, Ken. We'll go from there. Um, poured out. I don't know what you think about when you hear the phrase poured out. I don't know what actions you might think about. I'm not even 100% sure which people you might think about. And maybe what even happens when you combine those actions and those people together when you think about the phrase poured out. Um, as I was working through this, three images came to mind. Actually, more images than three came to mind. But I've got to share these three with you. So the first image that came to mind was this. Um, I served for about, I don't know, maybe eight, eight or nine years here, but certainly almost 18 years in youth ministry before transitioning into some of the things that I do now. And I absolutely love youth ministry. And youth ministry is chock full of stories. And those of you who have either been in student ministry or are youth ministers, you know the stories. They're stories. And so I'm thinking about this one time that we were on our way to a winter retreat, which was customary for us at that time. Uh, I think, Megan, you have gone on a few winter retreats with us. Uh, I know Aaron back there has, and so you might find yourself in this story, my friend, okay? Um, it's also customary for us to stop to eat before we arrive at our destination. So we found a place that there were several restaurants, and about 15 of us or so stayed together, and we went to this restaurant that we had been wanting to try out several years in a row, and we found this table in the back room that we could all sit at. And so we did. And so we placed our orders and our drink orders and so on. We actually drink orders just first. And um, the most impressive thing happened next. The waiter came out, and this was impressive, I'm telling you, with that one big circle tray on his arm, right? I think he even kind of walked out like this. I mean, he was really doing really well, balancing. He had every one of our drinks on this tray. Every one of them. And as he came to the table, it became more and more impressive that this thing was still on his arm until, and it may have been Aaron, you may have been the one that flinched, I don't know. Someone flinched at our table, and it was all it needed for that man to absolutely drop everything he had on his tray on top of one of our chaperones, Jeff O'Neill. Some of you guys know Jeff. And literally, every cup of what was on that tray poured out all of a sudden on top of Jeff, Right? And at that moment, he was baptized in water, in sweet tea, and any other carbonated beverage that your child may have ordered at that dinner, he was drenched, and it was awesome, right? We were laughing, the waiter was beet red, but it was good, right? So I think about poured out. I think about any of you have been engaged in sports, 
And if you've not been engaged in sports, you've seen this. And Brad, this may have happened to you, I'm not 100% sure. But after a big win, you know what sometimes happens. Some players conspire off to the side, right? Get, they think they're being sneaky. And they're going to get the coach, right? So after the big win, they pick up the big cooler filled with either Gatorade or water, and they dash over to the coach, and they pour every bit of this substance over the coach, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, poured out. I love both of those. But I also think about the woman in Mark chapter 14. And there's this scene where Jesus is at the table with Simon the leper at his home. And the text says that all of a sudden, this woman walks up. And she takes this alabaster jar that she has that's filled with nard and filled with essential oils, if you will, and she pours out, intentionally pours out every bit of substance on top of Jesus to anoint him. And can you imagine the smell that would have permeated that home? This sweet, earthy smell all over the place. And when I think about these three images, I also think about this. Um, Some of them are accidents, right? They're unintentional. Some acts of pouring out are rather intentional. Um, So we get this. We understand what it means. And so when I think about pouring out, and especially in those events, um, they're one-time gigs, right? After all the drinks were poured out on Jeff, we couldn't conserve it. We couldn't pick it back up off the ground. It was done. We had to order new drinks. Jeff would dry off, right? The second thing is this. Those coaches will dry off. Um, they'll refill the coolers, all the above. And in the other situation, there, is, there are some people, there's some hecklers. You're going to hear me use that word again here in a little bit. There's some hecklers who are looking at the woman going, you just wasted every bit of that stuff. It was expensive. Why did you pour all that out? And so when you think about poured out, we kind of get this, right? We get what it's not as well. It's not small doses, right? It's not tiny, tiny amounts. It's not done in increments. When it comes out, it comes out. In fact, it is the exact opposite of that. Something is poured out. It means it is lavish. It is gushing forth. It is spilling over. Nothing is spared, right? It's not reserved for just a few. Never have I been on the sidelines when a player picked up this big tub of water only to be stopped by an assistant who said, wait, 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 wait. We might need that later. Stop. Use this cup of water. Just pour that on the coach. That'll be fine. Nobody does that. It gushes out. It flows out. In fact, it comes out of an abundance, if you would, not scarcity. And so I've never seen that. So I think, I think, maybe I can play a role in maybe guiding you into this, but I think our text today has something to say about this. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Listen to that text one more time. Just pick up on words. Listen to the implications here. No. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. 
And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. This is intentional. This is a pouring out of like nothing before. In fact, this is the way Luke tells it. This is important for us. This is the arrival of the Holy Spirit in a way that's never happened before. This is the arrival. In fact, this is going to be a major theme. Let me say this to you, right? This is going to be a major theme for Luke. And without this same theme, you and I, we don't have a story to tell. This is really important as far as the arrival of the Holy Spirit and what happens here. And so let's do this. To be clear, if we were just to stop right here, these were the two verses that I was given to preach today. Verses 16 and 17. And if this is all that we had, this is all that we had access to, and if these three questions that I'm going to put on the screen were the only questions that we asked about the text, what can we learn about God? What can we learn about people or humanity? And as a result of these verses, what do we need to do to put into practice in our everyday lives? If we had just those two verses and we just asked these three questions, you and I could spend the afternoon here talking. Right? There's plenty here. So here's some answers to these questions. What can we learn about God? Well, God keeps his promises. It's really clear in this text that Peter is saying this is happening. God doesn't discriminate. That's something else you learn in this passage. It's for everybody. God's a generous God. What can you learn about God from those two verses? All three of those things and possibly more. What about humanity? Well, I love what the message says. I'm sorry. The message says this. I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Again, if you think about poured out, nothing is spared. It spills over all over the place into every body. Who? Humans are involved. The promise is for humans. As a matter of fact, which ones? All humans. Sons, daughters, young and old, all genders, all generations. And as you read further into this here in a second, it's cross-cultural. And that's one of the biggest themes in this entire conversation too. So we can learn a lot about God. We can learn a lot about humans. But this last question, man, what are we supposed to do with this last question? If you and I are reading Acts chapter 2... Verses 16 through 17, and I say, what can you learn about this text when it comes to you and to me and how we're going to live our life out every day? I think that there is a lot more here. In fact, we need to elaborate maybe just on this question just a little bit. Now, you might argue with me, and I might argue with you, and I get this. This is a pretty unique experience that's taking place in this text. But there's something more going on in this text. In fact, Scripture, if you keep reading, by the way, it's also helpful to keep reading past Acts. There's more, right? And the more Scripture you read, the more I have taken in, the more I think, this wasn't a one-time gig. There's more to this text. So these, these, these texts, these two verses are part of a much bigger story. So I wonder what would happen if you and I were to kind of begin connecting these dots a little bit and get back to uh, 16 and 17 here in just a second. Okay, so um, there's this resurrection that's taking place, right? It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of the essential piece of the story for you and I. So the resurrection has taken place, okay? And the disciples are scared because the tomb is empty. They don't know what to do. They're terrified. 
And so three days have passed. They're not 100% sure what to do. And this story picks up in Luke. We have a couple of disciples who are walking along the road. And the text tells us that they're on the way to Emmaus. And they're chatting back and forth about all the things that have happened. But the text says that they're sad. They're disappointed because their hopes have not come true. Something that was supposed to happen didn't happen. And so they're, they're worried about it and they're scared about it. And then out of nowhere, Jesus starts walking with them. But they don't know it's him. Listen to this sequence because it's one of my favorite sequences in the whole Bible. And, it's, and it's, I think there's some humor here. He pops, out, he pops in out of nowhere. They don't recognize him. So they're walking and they're talking. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? He said, are you the only person who's not been here to know what's been happening with Jesus? He says, tell me. And they tell him a little bit. And he kind of comes in and teaches them. He says, how foolish are you? Here's what's been happening. And now they keep walking. And they say, why don't you stay for dinner with us? And so he stays. And the guest becomes the host. And as they are sitting at this table... Jesus breaks bread, and at the moment that he breaks bread, the text says that their eyes were opened and they recognize him, and then he vanishes. Isn't it great? He appears out of nowhere, he breaks bread, they see him, and he vanishes. They freak out, they don't know what to do, so they go, we've got to go back and tell everybody. It's about a seven-mile hike from Emmaus to Jerusalem. They hightail it back to Jerusalem at that same point to go find everybody. And they, got, they get into this space, in this room, and they're telling everybody what has happened. And guess what happens next? Jesus appears out of nowhere again. This time they recognize him. They know it's him. But he says, touch me. See me. Text will go on to say this. He begins to talk to them about Scripture. And, he, and the text says, he opens their minds. He'll go on to talk to him a little bit more. In fact, he'll get to this statement here in Luke 24. He says, you are my witnesses of these things, this resurrection, these, this, this life event of who I am. I am, sending you upon, I am sending you upon you what my Father promised. So stay here. Stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Stay here until you have put this thing on. And by the way, power... Um, in the Greek text is always this word dynamo. It's kind of a big deal. Power. It doesn't mean that we're clothed with just being nice. Okay? There's something more here. He'll go on to say this as you get into Acts, the sequel to Luke. He says, Luke kind of brings the conversation back up. He says, while staying there with them, he ordered them to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Spirit of the Father. But they're not just waiting text also tells us that as they're trying to replace Judas, um, they are devoted continually to prayer. So they're not idle, right? There's something going on while they're doing this. And then we get into this piece right here. This is kind of, this is kind of an important part of this whole text. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then you get to Acts chapter 2. And here's what happens. And suddenly... So remember where they are. They kind of worked themselves up to this point, and they're in this house. They're in this space on Pentecost. Fifty-some-odd days have passed since the Passover, and they're all together in one place, waiting and praying and celebrating, when all of a sudden, from heaven, came a sound like a rush of a violent wind. The text actually says breath of life. It's not the same word that you would use for wind outside. It was the breath of life. And suddenly from heaven came a sound like the rush of violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
And then divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. This is an incredible scene. Incredible scene. Look at the language. All of the sudden, there's this pouring out, this sound. I tried to find a sound clip, George, to fill this room that would vibrate the room that we might could even somewhat come close to mimicking this. I still don't think I could have done it. Can you imagine the room shaking, this building shaking from the sound of this wind rushing into this room and filling this place? In fact, it was such a ruckus that it drew a crowd from where they were and people came to see what was happening because this was such a big thing that was occurring. And they're filled. And then you've got fire. This presence of God resting on their heads and they begin to speak in languages they have never learned to speak before. And everybody who's gathered around, the text names off all the different nations and regions, everybody who was there could hear the story of God's powerful, mighty deeds. That's what they were talking. They weren't just babbling. They were talking about the power of God and all His deeds, right? In different tongues. And they all heard it. Of course, you have people who are watching, right? Some people are amazed. Some people are astonished. Actually, they're all amazed. They're all astonished. They're also bewildered. The text even says that they're perplexed, okay? Um, this is a big thing that's happening, and there's always hecklers. I mentioned hecklers earlier, right? You always have the heckler. And there are some hecklers off to the side who are going, this is ridiculous. They're drunk. They've got to be filled with new wine. There's no other explanation for this. We're not surprised at all. They've got to be intoxicated. And then we get to our text today. Peter stands up filled with the Holy Spirit. Not to mention he stands with the other 11. He says, no. <laughs> they're not drunk. <laughs> they're not drunk at all. Um, they're filled, but they're not filled like you think they're filled. He says, no, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Did you notice the sequence through all of this. They recognize Jesus. There's a point when they truly recognize who he is. They comprehend Jesus. He opens their mind at some point and they get it and they go, all, all these things we didn't get, we now get it. They recognize him, they comprehend him, and then they wait. He says, be, be still, stay here until the power comes upon you. And they wait, and they're waiting with anticipation and prayer. And then there's this moment where they are empowered. The Spirit is poured out on them. They are empowered, they are equipped, and they are energized to go out on this mission. And then a movement launches. And so church, this is what you have to hear because we are a part of this storyline. We are a part of that movement. We are the movement that has been launched. And so I like to think about it like this, if you will. The church does not so much have a mission as it is a mission. It is who we are. And at this moment in time, God unleashes, if you will. Go back to the images you have in your mind of something being poured out. He pours out His Spirit. It's a gift. It's a gift from a Father who wants to just keep giving. And it's made available for everyone who would receive it? And then there's got to be this question. Why? 
There's a purpose. Right? It's so followers of Jesus, so not just the people we read about in Acts chapter 2, but so we, as followers of Jesus, can be empowered, equipped, and energized to live out this mission so that you and I can become agents moving towards a broken world, not away from it, but participating as image bearers now as we speak. So church, if you don't know it, I, I can get excited pretty easily. But I can get excited about this mission. This is a mission that I can invite others into and say, no, 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 no. This is what the church is about. This is who we are. This is what you'd be getting to, getting into. And so this movement that started 2,000 plus years ago with a small group of people, they didn't rely on their own human power. And I cannot imagine a better time for the church to be having this conversation than right now in the time that we're living. I cannot imagine moving forward without God's presence. I cannot imagine attempting to be, not go. I cannot imagine being God's church without His Holy Spirit. Church, I long, I long to be the church that I read about in Acts. Man, and I think there's something missing. Right? And maybe a better question is, what are we neglecting? Because we're part of that equation. We recognize Jesus. We comprehend Him. We don't wait so well, typically. But there has been this pouring out. And it's kind of like we're a little bit afraid of it. We don't know what to do with it. But we've launched this mission and we think, we can do it by ourselves. We don't really need that. We'll shelve it. That was a promise that God kept a few years ago, but it doesn't matter anymore. I think that it does. I don't just think that it does. I know that it does. We are people filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, um, when I think about the Holy Spirit, I wonder, let me ask, well, the, I, the church and the Holy Spirit, I wonder this. I wonder if we have become too comfortable with the state of the church to notice or to see the dilemma. That maybe, just maybe, we're neglecting a power source that we may need. And then when I think about the Holy Spirit and what it does, it is the nature of the Holy Spirit to shake up the church particularly when the church becomes self-satisfied and content with the status quo. I don't know about you, but I'm just not satisfied with the status quo. I can't see us being the church. And I think the invitation is really simple. You and I have the invitation to live into the reality of the Holy Spirit, the reality that was then and the reality that was now. It was a gift then and it's a gift now. I walk a lot. Well, at least, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that like I just walk everywhere. I, as of the pandemic, I've picked up walking quite a bit. I love it. And one of the places that I walk a lot is Drake's Creek. You're familiar with Drake's Creek, for those of you who are in here? Some of you have had children play soccer and baseball and football and things, and so you're pretty familiar with the area. There's a soccer field over there. It's fairly large. It's where the HHS soccer team plays. I know where this is. I lap this place often and in the last couple of weeks one of the things I begin to notice and I read it every day when I walk by I don't know if you've ever thought about this or seen this but on the side of the field there's two entrances one says spectators entrance and one says players entrance and you have a choice now when you get there you kind of know where you're supposed to be going right there's a role for the spectators, there's expectations for the spectators, and there's a role for the player, and there's an expectation for the player. And what I always notice about sporting events, there's always a lot more spectators who know more about what's going on the field than the players do, right? No matter who you are. 
there's always more spectators than there are players. But you and I have a choice. I wonder if you were to think about the world as your arena, as our arena. And when you walk out of your house every morning, if there was a sign on your door, above your door, that said, player's entrance or spectator's entrance. You have a choice and I have a choice. To participate in the kingdom work as agents of God or to watch. And I think that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit to do far more than just watch. We have been called to live this out. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, Father. May we be open to its power, and may we be open to it permeating every nook and cranny in our life as we live this mission out as your church. Help us to be who you have called us to be, Father. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your generous pouring out of this gift. And it's the name of your son, Jesus, who we recognize, who we comprehend, who we wait for, Father. And, Father, may we be empowered and equipped and energized to launch in this mission to be your church. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray.